Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Aging Younger with David and Stephanie Tippy, founders of the Anti-Aging Clinic in Water Hill, Florida, where the alternatives matter. Now here are your hosts, David and Stephanie Tippy. to our listeners. I'm David Tippy. Welcome to the Aging Younger Show. And this is Stephanie Tippy. Yes, welcome to Aging Younger Radio. David and I broadcast live from our clinic in Tamarack, Florida. We can be reached at 954-742-4430 and you can visit us online at agingyounger.net. Well, David and I have a really exciting show because so many people are unaware, truly unaware about the truth about cholesterol. So I'd like to start by beginning. No, I, I love, uh, I'm the person who's going to start today, and uh, I'm going to start with, if you're taking cholesterol-lowering statin drugs, such as Lipitor, Zocar, Crestor, or over uh, call or and want to add to the body what is being robbed that the heart must have then we must have important news to share with you today we've all been led to believe that cholesterol is bad and that lowering it is good because of extensive pharmaceutical marketing to both doctors and patients so we think that using statin drugs is proven to work to lower the risk of heart attacks and deaths. Well, I don't think so. But on what scientific evidence is that reasoning based? What does that evidence really show? You know, Roger Williams, a theologian, once said something that is very applicable to how we commonly view the benefits of statins. He said, there are liars, and then there are damn liars. <laughs> and the statisticians. Now, we see prominent ads on television and in the medical journals, things like 36% reduction in risk of having a heart attack. But we don't look at the fine print. What does that really mean, and how does it affect decisions about who should really be using these drugs? How are some thought-provoking findings to ponder? Now, here they are. Uh, if you lower bad cholesterol, LDL, but have a low HDL, good cholesterol, there is no benefit to statins. If you lower bad cholesterol, LDL, but don't reduce inflammation, marked by a test called C-reactive protein, there is no benefit to statins. Now, if you're a healthy woman with a high cholesterol, there is no proof that taking statins will reduce your risk of heart attack or death. If you are a man or a woman over the age of 69 years with high cholesterol, there's no proof again that taking statins will reduce your risk of heart attack or death. Aggressive cholesterol treatment with two medications, uh, one of them Zocor and the other Zetia, lowered cholesterol much more than one drug alone, but led to more plaque buildup in the arteries and no fewer heart attacks. 75% of people who have heart attacks, guess what? They have normal cholesterol levels. Older people with lower cholesterol have higher risks of death than those with higher cholesterol. Countries with higher average cholesterol than Americans, such as the Swiss or the Spanish uh, uh, in Switzerland, Spain, have less heart disease. Recent evidence shows that it is likely that the statin's ability to lower inflammation are what is what accounts for the benefits of statins, not their ability to lower cholesterol. Cardiovascular disease is one of the most misdiagnosed 
and mistreated conditions in medicine, and we are giving you our opinion. Science has proven that it is not the amount of cholesterol in your blood that drives heart disease risk, but the number of the LDL particles. LDL is low-density uh, lipids. Statins have hailed by many, have been hailed by many in the conventional medical establishment as the wonder drugs, with some of the physicians going as far as suggesting that they should be added to the water supply. God, God help us all. The doctor that made that particular suggestion, his name is John Reckless, and yes, that is his real name. Cholesterol is not technically a fat, rather. It's classified as a sterol, which is a combination of a steroid and alcohol. It's crucial to understand that you don't have a cholesterol level in your blood. Cholesterol is fat-soluble and blood is mostly water. In order for cholesterol to be transported around in the body, in the blood, it has to be carried by special proteins called lipoproteins, okay? These lipoproteins are classified according to their density. Two of the most important cardiovascular disease and low-density lipoprotein, LDL, and high-density lipoprotein, uh, HDL. I know this can get confusing quickly, so let me use an analogy to make this clear. Imagine your bloodstream is like a highway. The lipoproteins are like cars that carry the cholesterol and the fats around in your body. And the cholesterol and fats are likely passengers in those cars. Scientists used to believe that the number of passengers in the car, i.e., the concentration of cholesterol in the LDL particle, is the driving factor in the development of heart disease. Most recent studies, however, suggest that it's the number of cars on the road, i.e., LDL particles, that matters most. Coronary arteries are e uh, essentially hollow tubes and endothelium lining of the artery is very thin, only one cell deep. The blood, which carries lipoproteins like LDL, is in constant contact with the endothelial lining. So why does the LDL particles leave the blood, penetrate the endothelium, and enter the artery wall? The answer is that it's a gradient-driven process. Going back to our analogy, the more cars there are on the road at one time, the more likely it is that some of them will crash into the fragile lining of the artery. It's not the number of passengers, i.e., the cholesterol. It's the number of cars are carrying that is the determining factor, but the number of cars on the highway. Now, the significance of this in terms of determining your risk of heart disease is quite profound. When you go to the doctor to get your cholesterol tested, chances that he or she will measure your total LDL and HDL cholesterol. This tells you the concentration of cholesterol, and back to David's analogy, the, the passengers, if you will, inside of the lipoproteins, which are the cars, which is not the driving factor behind the plaque formation and heart disease. Instead, what should be measured is the number of the LDL particles in your blood. Now, LDL cholesterol levels and the LDL particle number are often, are often concur, meaning when one is high, the other is high, and vice versa. And this is probably why there is an association between LDL cholesterol and heart disease in observational studies. The elevated LDL cholesterol was more of a proxy marker for elevated LDL particle numbers in these cases. But here's the kicker. They can also be different. 
in layman's terms, it's possible to have normal or even low cholesterol, but a high number of LDL particles. If this person only has their cholesterol measured and not their particle number measured, they will be falsely led to believe that they are at low risk for heart disease. Now, it gets even worse. The people who are the most likely to present uh, with this pattern are among the highest risk people, those with metabolic syndrome or full-fledged type 2 diabetes. The more components of the metabolic syndrome that are present, such as abdominal obesity, hypertension, insulin resistance, high triglycerides, and low HDL, the more likely is that the LDL particle number will be elevated. On the other hand, people with high LDL cholesterol, that's LDL-C, and low LDL particle number, that's LDL-P, are not at high risk of heart disease. In fact, studies suggest they are at even lower risk than people with low LDLC and low LDLP. Yet, they will often be treated with statin drugs or other cholesterol-lowering medications because the clinician only looked at the LDLC and failed to measure the LDL particle number. This is a concern for two reasons. First, the statin drugs aren't harmless. Second, studies suggest that low cholesterol can increase the risk of death, especially in women and the elderly. In one study of over 52,000 Norwegians, researchers found that women with total cholesterol levels below 195 uh, MGDL had a higher risk of death. Did you hear me? Higher risk than women with cholesterol levels above the cutoff. Now, a study published in the American Journal of, of Medicine found that people over 70 years of age with total cholesterol levels below 160 mgmdl uh, had twice the risk of death than those with cholesterol levels between 160 and 199 mgdl, low cholesterol is also associated with increased risk of disease, especially mental health and brain disorders. For example, a study in the Journal of Psychiatric Research found that men with low total cholesterol levels were seven times more likely to die prematurely from unnatural causes, such as suicide and accidents, than other men in the study. There was a 1993 study published in The Lancet that found that depression was three times more likely in men over 70 with low cholesterol than in those with normal or high cholesterol. A Swedish study found that women with the lowest cholesterol suffered significantly more depressive symptoms than other women in the study. A study in the journal Neurology showed that low cholesterol is associated with increased risk of dementia. A paper published in the European Journal of Internal Medicine linked low cholesterol levels with Alzheimer's disease. It's important to note that all of these studies were observational which means that they don't prove that low cholesterol was the cause of the increased risk of death or disease that was observed. It is possible that these people had another disease that caused both the lower cholesterol and increase in disease or mortality. However, given what we know about the important roles of cholesterol in the body, it is certainly plausible that low cholesterol is capable of contributing to these problems directly. It is best to point out that all, although the LDL particle number is superior to LDL cholesterol as a marker for heart disease, that is, it is still just that, a marker. A marker is not a disease, 
It is a risk factor for a disease. Having a risk factor for a disease does not guarantee that you will get that disease. It just increases the chance that you will. There are still several gaps in our knowledge about LDLP, that's particle, and its usefulness in the clinical setting. For example, imagine two people with LDLP above 2,000, which puts them in the highest risk group. Person A follows a uh, paleo diet, which is a natural diet, plus uh, has a natural wellness lifestyle, gets plenty of sleep, exercise, manages stress, and has no other significant risk factors for heart disease. Now, person B eats a standard American diet, doesn't exercise, doesn't get enough sleep, is stressed out, and has several other risk factors for heart disease. Logic would dictate that person A would be at much lower risk for heart disease than person B. But there isn't any comparative data to quantify the difference in risk and it's unlikely such a study will ever be done. Who would pay for it? Certainly not the pharmaceutical companies who profit on sales of their drugs. Imagine two people following a healthy paleo-type diet. Again, it's a natural diet and lifestyle. Person C has no conventional risk factors for heart disease. Person D has no conventional risk factors either, but does have LDLP up to 1,000. Now, logic would di dictate that person D is at a higher risk than person C. But again, we don't have the actual data to qualify and to quantify the difference in risk. Heart disease is a complex, multifactional process. The likelihood that we will have a heart attack depends on numerous factors, including genetics, diet, lifestyle, and living environment. This is not to suggest that LDLP is the only risk factor that matters or that other risk factors shouldn't be taken into consideration. It is simply to point out that existing evidence suggests that LDLP is the much better predictor of heart disease risk than plain LDL or total cholesterol and that it appears to be one of the better markers available to the medical industry now if they would simply use it. So what increases LDL particle levels? Conventional medicine is primarily focused on suppressing symptoms. If your blood pressure is high, you take a medication that, thins, uh, that will lower the blood pressure. It thins it, the blood, yeah. Well, not all the time. It could be beta blockers. If your cholesterol is high to their standards, you take a medication to lower it. In most cases, there is rarely any investigation into why these markers are high or if that number is correct in the first place, with the possible exception of some physicians offering basic but oftentimes incorrect counseling on diet and exercise. On the other hand, functional natural medicine which is our focus that is on suggesting natural methods one might choose in treating their own underlying cause of health problems instead of just suppressing symptoms with drugs. After all, as we always say, choice matters, health is a choice, and the choice should always be left up to you. If your blood sugar, blood pressure, or cholesterol are high, the first question a functional, natural health person will ask is, well, why is it? If we cannot identify the root cause of the problem and address it at that level, medication may be uh, unnecessary. unnecessary. Uh, but never circumventing your doctor. We are convinced that your doctor will understand logic and science. To use a simple analogy, if you have weeds in your garden, what happens if you just cut the weeds from the top? Well, they're going to continue to grow right back and sometimes faster than before. If you really want to get rid of them once and for all, you have to pull them up from their roots. 
With this in mind, let's look at some of the potential causes of elevated LDL particle number. If you remember, that's LDLP. If your LDLP is high, it makes sense to test and to treat any of the conditions which the exception of, uh, the, which is the, the exception of genetics, because you know there are those that uh, genetically that can be threatened before all, and at least uh, along with uh, taking, if you're going to choose that, your pharmaceutical drugs. Now, insulin resistance and metabolic syndrome, LDL particles don't just carry cholesterol. They, are, they also carry triglycerides, fat-soluble vitamins and antioxidants. You can think of LDL as a taxi service that delivers important nutrients to the cells and tissues of the body. As you might expect, there's a limit to how much stuff that each LDL particle can carry. Each LDL particle has a certain number of cholesterol molecules and a certain number of triglycerides. As the number of triglycerides increases, the amount of cholesterol it can carry decreases and the liver will have to make more LDL particles to carry a given amount of cholesterol around in the body. This person will end up with a higher number of LDL particles. Consider two hypothetical people. Both have an LDL cholesterol level of 130 mgDL, but one has high triglycerides and the other has low triglycerides. The one with the high triglyceride level will need more LDL particles to transport that same amount of cholesterol around the body that the one with the low triglycerides, uh, more than the one with the low triglyceride levels. Now, numerous studies have found an association between increased LDL particle number and metabolic syndrome. One study. So now talking about another study measured a marker for LDL particle number in a group of 1,400 young fin uh, Finnish people with no established disease. The participants with the highest LDL particle number were 2.8 times more likely to have metabolic syndrome than those with the lowest levels of LDL. LDLP. A much larger study with over 300,000 men also found a strong association between the LDLP and the metabolic syndrome and its components, being insulin resistance, abdominal obesity, high blood pressure, and so forth. Poor thyroid function is another potential cause of the elevated particle number. Now, your thyroid hormone has multiple effects on the regulation of lipid production, absorption, and metabolism. It stimulates the expression of uh, the uh, HMG-coenzyme A reductase, which is an enzyme in the liver involved in the production of cholesterol. Now, as a side note, one way that statins work is by inhibiting the hmg uh, CoA reductase enzyme. Thyroid hormone also increases the expression of LDL receptors on the surface of cells in the liver and in other tissues. In hypothyroidism, the number of receptors for LDL on cells will be decreased. This leads to reduced clearance of LDL from the blood and thus, thus higher LDL levels. Hypothyroidism may also lead to higher cholesterol by acting on Neiman-PIC-C1-like 1 protein, which plays a critical role in the intestinal absorption of cholesterol. Studies show that LDL particle number is higher even in subclinical hypothyroidism, uh, that being where the TSH or the thyroid stimulating hormone with normal T4 and T3. Uh, and that LDL particle number will decrease after treatment with thyroid hormones. Another cause of high cholesterol profile 
is infection. Multiple studies have shown association between bacterial infections, uh, like chlamydia and uh, pneumonia and, and uh, the many others, uh, which is a bacterium causing uh, ulcers as well as viral infections like herpes and elevated lipids. For example, the H uh, poly leads to elevated levels of total cholesterol. LDL cholesterol, lipoprotein A, or ApoB, or LDL particle number, and triglyceride concentrations, as well as decreased levels of HDL. Several mechanisms have been proposed to explain the association between infections and elevated blood lipids. Now, some evidence suggests that viral and bacterial infections directly alter the lipid metabolism of infected cells, and other evidence suggests that lipids increase as a result of the body's attempt to fight off infection. Other evidence suggests that LDL has an anatomical uh, and the antimicrobial uh, properties and is directly involved in inactivating uh, microbial pathogens. This has been confirmed by studies showing that mice with defective LDL receptors and thus very high levels of LDL and protected against infection by uh, gram-negative bacteria like H. polylori. Now, uh, one of the primary functions of the intestinal barrier is to make sure that stuff that belongs in the gut stays in the gut. When the barrier fails, endotoxins such as uh, lipopolysaccharides, or LPS, produced by certain species of gut bacteria can enter the bloodstream and provoke an immune response. Part of that immune response involves LDL particles, which, as we mentioned above, have an antimicrobial effect. A protein called uh, LPS binding protein, which circulates with LDL particles, has been shown to reduce the toxic properties of LPS by directly binding to it and removing it from the circulation. Now, studies have also shown significant increases in LPS binding protein and thus the LDL particles in cases of endotoxemia, a condition caused by large amounts of circulating endotoxins. Though more research is needed in, in this area, the studies that we have discussed suggests that a leaky gut could increase the level of LPS and other endotoxins in the, gut, in the blood and thus increase the LDL particle number as a result. The final cause of, L, of an elevated LDLP is genetics. Familiar hyper, hypercholesterolemia, or FH, involves a mutation of a gene that codes for the LDL receptor or the gene that codes for apolipoprotein B. The LDL receptor sits on the outside of the cells. The LDL particle has to attach to the LDL receptor in order to deliver the nutrients it's carrying and be removed from the circulation. Now, the apple B is the part of the LDL particle that binds to the receptor. If we use a door lock as another analogy, the apolipoprotein B would be the key, and the LDL receptor is the lock. They both need to be working properly for LDL to deliver its cargo and to be removed from the bloodstream. Uh, now, uh, homogenesis. Homozygosis carries carriers of FH have two copies of the mutated gene. This condition is very rare. It affects approximately one in a million people. And people that are homozygosis for the mutation have extremely high total cholesterol levels, often as high as 1,000 milligrams per deciliter of blood, or MGDL. 
And unfortunately, they usually die from severe atherosclerosis and heart disease before the age of 25. Heterozygosis carriers, however, only have a single copy of the mutated gene, and the other copy is functioned normally. This is much more common. The prevalence is between 1 in 300 to 1 in 500 people, depending on which study that you look at. These heteroozygous carriers, uh, heteroozygosis, heteroozygosis carriers of FH, have total cholesterol levels that often range between 350 and 500 MGDL, along with very high LDL particle numbers. They have about three times higher risk of death from heart disease than people without the FH if it goes untreated. It's important to note that people with FH have primarily large uh, variant of the uh, LDL LDL particles, and yet are still at much higher risk for cardiovascular disease. While it's true that small, dense, oxidized LDL particles are more likely to cause atherosclerosis, the, the large particles can also be harmful when uh, their concentration is high enough. This is one reason why LDL particle number is the superior marker to LDL particle size, debunking outdated harmful myths about cardiovascular disease. is very, very important here. For the last half century, the medical establishment has vigorously promoted the notion that high cholesterol is the primary risk factor for coronary heart disease and that a diet High and saturated fat and cholesterol causes heart disease, despite the overwhelming body of evidence that suggests otherwise. Most of us grew up being told that foods like red meat, eggs, bacon, uh, raise uh, our cholesterol levels. This idea is so deeply ingrained in our culture psyche that few people even question it. But is it really true? The diet heart hypothesis, which holds that eating cholesterol and saturated fats raise cholesterol in our blood, originated with studies in both animals and humans more than a half a century ago. However, more recent and higher quality evidence doesn't support it. The World Health Organization has estimated that ending world hunger would cost approximately $195 billion. Now, one might argue that the $300 billion we spend on treating cardiovascular disease, that's right, $300 billion, uh, in the United States alone is, an, uh, is a necessary expenditure. However, a recent study which looked, up, looked at the relationship between heart disease and lifestyle suggested that 90% of CVD, cardiovascular disease, is, is caused by uh, modifiable diet and lifestyle factors. High cholesterol is not the primary cause of heart disease. This is our opinion again. Diets high in saturated fat and cholesterol don't cause heart disease. Consumption of so-called heart-healthy vegetable oils is linked to heart disease, cancer, and many other conditions. Statin drugs do not reduce the risk of deaths for most people and have dangerous side effects and, yes, dangerous complications. On any given day, we have between 1,100 and 1,700 milligrams of cholesterol in our bodies. 25% of that comes from our diet, and 75% is produced inside of our bodies by the liver. Much of the cholesterol that's found in food cannot be absorbed by our bodies, and most of the cholesterol in our gut was first synthesized in body cells and ended up in the gut via the liver and the gallbladder. 
The body tightly regulates the amount of cholesterol in the blood by controlling internal production. When cholesterol intake in the diet goes down, the body, of course, will make more. When cholesterol intake in the diet goes up, the body will then make less. Now, these facts are so logical. In other words, eating cholesterol is not going to give you a heart attack. You can ditch the egg white omelets and start eating yolks again. That's a good thing. Since all of the 13 essential nutrients eggs contain are found in the yolk. Egg yolks are an especially good source of choline, a B vitamin that plays important roles in everything from neurotransmitter production and detoxification to maintenance of healthy cells. Studies show that up to 90% of Americans don't get enough choline, which can lead to fatigue, insomnia, poor kidney function, memory problems, and nerve muscle imbalances. In the Journal of Obesity Reviews, they found that the low-carb diets neither increase nor decrease LDL cholesterol. However, they did find that low-carb diets were associated with significant decreases in body weight as well as improvements in several CV risk factors, including uh, decreases in triglycerides, fasting glucose, blood pressure, body mass index, abdominal circumference, plasma insulin, and C-reactive protein, as well as an increase in vital for life HDL cholesterol. Not everyone responds to dietary cholesterol in the same manner. There's some variation in how individuals respond to dietary saturated fat. If we took 10 people, fed them a diet high in saturated fat, and measured their cholesterol levels, we'd see a range of responses that averages out to uh, no net increase or decrease. If dietary saturated fat does increase your total or uh, LDL cholesterol, the more important question is whether that's a problem. Science has established that eating cholesterol and saturated fat does not increase cholesterol levels in the blood for most people. It is a myth that high cholesterol in the blood in the blood is the cause of heart disease. Review the earlier details we discussed of how cholesterol is not technically a fat and how the highest risk people are those with metabolic syndrome or full-fledged type 2 diabetes. There are studies that show statins are effective in reducing heart attacks and deaths from heart disease in people who already have heart disease. Several large controlled trials, including 4S, CARE, Lipid, HPS, TNT, and so on, and A to Z, have shown relative risk reductions between 7% on the low end and 32% on the high end, with an average risk reduction of about 20%. However, absolute risk reductions are much more modest. They range from 0.8% on the low end to 9% on the high end, with an average of 3%. An analysis by Dr. David Newman in 2010, which drew on large meta-analyses of statins, found that among those with pre-existing heart disease who took statins for five years, the study, and this study, if you all want to look it up, is shown on chriscresser.com, and that's C-H-R-I-S-K-R-E-S-S-E-R.com. So this is what the study shows. 96% saw no benefit at all. 1.2%, that's only 1 in 83, had their lifespan extended, and they were saved from a fatal heart attack. 2.6%, one in 39 were helped by preventing a repeat heart attack. 0.8%, one in 125 were helped by preventing a stroke. 0.6%, one in 167 
were harmed by developing diabetes, and 10%, 1 in 10, were harmed by muscle damage. So, our suggestion, live a heart-healthy lifestyle. Regular exercise prevents the development of progression of atherosclerosis, improves lipids and reduces vascular symptoms in people that already have heart disease. The benefits of exercise are related to maintenance of body weight or weight loss, which is fat loss, not muscle, blood pressure control, return of insulin sensitivity, and beneficial changes in lipids, all of which in turn promote endothelial stabilization and vascular health. In addition to distinct periods of exercise, it's also important to sit less and stand and walk more. In fact, some research suggests this uh, non-exercise physical activity may have a greater impact on cardiovascular health than exercise. One suggests uh, movement exercise of rotating the center body axis to improve center body strength, just standing in your office. Now, chronic sleep deprivation is one of the most uh, precocious yet unrecognized contributors to the modern disease epidemic. Sleep deprivation has been associated with weight gain, insulin resistance, increased appetite, and caloric intake. Overconsumption of highly palatable and rewarding food decreased energy expenditure and reduced likelihood of sticking with healthy lifestyle behaviors. Sleep duration and quality are inversely associated with blood pressure and uh, epidemiological studies, and high blood pressure is one of the longest independent risk factors of cardiovascular disease, CVD. Finally, the nurse, the uh, nurse's health study found that those who reported fewer than five hours of sleep at night had a 38% greater risk of coronary heart disease than those reporting eight hours of sleep. Sleep stress increases the risk of cardiovascular disease in numerous ways. It increases intestinal permeability, impairs blood sugar control, depresses immunity, which will increase the risk of infection, contributes to fat storage in the liver, and promotes consumption of comfort and junk foods. But perhaps the most significant contribution stress makes to coronary vascular disease is that it promotes inflammation. Stress has been shown to increase circulating inflammatory markers like the C-reactive protein and interleukin-6, both of which are associated with heart disease. On the other hand, stress management can have a profound impact on heart uh, disease risk. One recent randomized trial showed that regular meditation decreased the risk of death from heart attack, stroke, and all causes by a whopping 48%, a much greater reduction than what is observed with uh, the analyses that we gave earlier on the statins, even in the highest risk, risk population. Also, diet and nutrients are vital in addition to the basic heart-healthy natural Mother Nature's diet. There are several specific foods and nutrients that have been shown to improve cardiovascular health. Cold water, fatty fish, excellent source of EPA and DHA, long-chain uh, omega-3 fatty acids, which several cardiovascular benefits, and all of them are with several cardiovascular benefits in the diet part, plus rejuvenous krill oil gel caps that provide excellent omega-3 fats along with the antioxidant-rich rejuvenous CoQ10 chewables. Both of these are some really great products of ours and easily seen on our website, which is agingyounger.net. Antioxidant-rich foods protect against heart disease, 
in a number of important ways. Our antioxidant defense system is what protects us from oxidative damage, which, as you now know, is a major risk factor of heart disease. When most people think of antioxidants, they think of fruits and vegetables like uh, the dark leafy greens and fruits like berries, which are wonderful, by the way. But while it is true these foods are rich in antioxidants, it is also good to know that organically fed red meat and organ meat are also very rich in important antioxidants that aren't found in significant amounts in plant food, like CoQ10 and retinol, uh, which is, is uh, performed vitamin A, uh, to increase your antioxidant consumption, a good rule of thumb is to eat the rainbow, choosing a variety of colors of fruits and vegetables, as well as our, uh, organic organ meats and red meats, non-chemical vaccine-injected organic hen eggs, and grass-fed dairy. Polyphenols are a diverse class of molecules that are made by plants, certain fungi, and a few animals. Now, they serve a lot of purposes, including defense against predators and infections, defense against sunlight damage, chemical oxidation, and coloration. The color, in fact, of many fruits and vegetables, like blueberries, eggplants, red potatoes, apples, these colors come from the polyphenols. Some of the best studied polyphenol-rich foods are tea, especially the green tea, blueberries, extra virgin olive oil, red wine, but don't overdo it, and citrus fruits, hibiscus tea, dark chocolate, coffee in moderation, turmeric, and other herbs and spices. Polyphenol-rich foods have been shown to have a number of beneficial health effects. Another example I mentioned dark chocolate. Well, dark chocolate has been shown to lower blood pressure and LDL cholesterol and improve insulin sensitivity. Red wine has been shown to prevent the increase in oxidized fats that occur after consuming a meal high in oxidized and potentially oxidizable fats. And several studies have shown that hibiscus tea lowers blood pressure in people with hypertension, and blueberries have been shown to lower blood pressure and oxidized LDL in men and women who have metabolic syndrome. Some studies have shown that nut consumption may reduce the risk of cardiovascular disease. In a recent analysis of Nahane's data, from 1999 to 2004, investigators found that nut consumption was associated with a decrease in a wide range of cardiovascular disease risk markers, including body mass index, weight circumference, and uh, systolic blood pressure compared to non-consumers of nuts. This is observational data, so we can't be sure that it was the nuts rather than some other factor that wasn't adequately controlled for that led to the improvements. Our choice of nuts are macadamia nuts, almonds, hazelnuts, because they are lower in omega-6 linoleic acid, which research suggests may contribute to the cardiovascular disease when consumed in excess. In the Nahane study, subjects followed for more than 19 years with the highest Quartile of dietary soluble fiber intake had a 15% lower risk of heart disease and had a 10% lower risk of cardiovascular events. Again, our choice for fiber is quinoa, which is a fat burner, amino acid, as, and remember that soluble fiber binds bile acids or cholesterol upregulates LDL receptors in the liver, increases clearance of LDL, inhibits fatty acid synthesis by producing short-chain fatty acids, acids like acetate, but, uh, but, uh, butyrate, and uh, propionate. 
improves insulin sensitivity and increases satiety with overall, with lower overall energy intake. Soluble fiber, also found in vegetables such as Brussels sprouts, turnips, carrots, sweet and white potatoes, squash and asparagus, and fruits as, such as apricots, prunes, pears, oranges, grapefruits, and mangoes. That said, cardiovascular disease is a complex multi-factorial process, and it's difficult to give it to the attention it really deserves. When blood tests reveal high LDL cholesterol levels, doctors tend to reflexively reach for their prescription pad for a quick-fix mainstream medicine solution with statin drugs. And while it is true that these statins often produce lower LDL cholesterol readings, many experts now agree that they may actually do more harm than good. Remember, we talked about the difference between the LDL, the particles, and the LDL. We need to know the particle count, not just the LDL. They come with a long list of side effects, these satin drugs, that range from uh, annoying to debilitating, yet, unfortunately, too many doctors never mention these dangers. The list of side effects includes muscle pain, weakness, memory loss and confusion, headaches, fatigue, difficulties sleeping, infertility, dizziness, liver and kidney problems, nausea and vomiting, premature nerve damage, diarrhea and constipation, increased risk of type 2 diabetes. But you are much more likely to be impacted by a hidden danger that is not detailed on the warning label. And your doctor, in his or her rush to see the next patient, may have simply neglected to warn you. Statins deplete a vital nutrient that our bodies need. It is widely known that statin drugs severely deplete the body's natural levels of CoQ10, coenzyme Q10, which is is very dangerous. A Columbia University study found that within 30 days, your levels of co- or out the, the levels of CoQ10 can be decreased by half. Not only does CoQ10 help your heart, it boosts cellular energy throughout your entire body and fights fatigue. In addition, CoQ10 helps to reduce muscle pain and weakness, which are the most commonly reported side effects of cholesterol-lowering drugs. CoQ10 is fuel for your heart. Your heart, which beats about 100,000 times a day to get its job done, is fueled by CoQ10, which is why so many studies have shown that it confers powerful protection for your entire cardiovascular system. When your heart has the high levels of CoQ10 it needs, it works like a charm. But when the levels get low, your heart strains to do its job, and ultimately your entire body will suffer. Now, uh, suboptimal heart function can result in a mystery of symptoms, and that uh, so many of us experience as we get older, such as fatigue, pain, and decreases in mental functions. The fact is, if you have health problems that seemingly won't go away, CoQ10 may be the natural solution you've been looking for. By the age of 50, the CoQ10 levels may be critically low. According to leading experts on the cutting edge of natural health, it is critical to supplement with natural I said natural, not synthetic, CoQ10, as we age. After the age of 30, natural levels of CoQ10 begin to diminish. By the age of 50, the CoQ10 levels may be too low to support optimal heart function. And by age 70, the levels can become so low that they can actually accelerate aging and heart issues. Age aside, further loss of CoQ10 may be caused by lifestyle. Uh, stress, illness, or the use of the statins that we discussed or the medications. In fact, the very worst culprit is statin drugs. It's now estimated that one in three adults 
over the age of 50 take a statin. I hope you heard me right. Statins literally suck the CoQ10 right out of your body. Meanwhile, few doctors warn patients that by taking a statin to help the heart, they are in fact slowly draining it of the very fuel it needs for optimal health. This is a crying shame, in our opinion, since so many people's hearts are needlessly being jeopardized at the hands of their own physicians. Why you need the right CoQ10 three times each day. You'll experience boosts in your mood, energy, and brain power, profound relief from everyday aches and pains, but heart health, even better-looking skin. Now, the fact is the majority of people over the age of 45 are critically deficient in CoQ10, so you really need to be taking our effective, chewable, highly absorbable CoQ10 supplement. You want to stay active and healthy as you age. The supplement industry has a dirty little secret. You can find CoQ10 supplements virtually everywhere, and unfortunately most people are tricked into thinking all CoQ10 is the same. But there's a dirty little secret that they won't tell you on their label. All of the research supporting the benefits of CoQ10 has been conducted with the natural CoQ10. But most supplements in big supplement stores and in the pharmacies are made with synthetic CoQ10. Worse yet, guess what synthetic CoQ10 is synthesized from? Believe it or not, tobacco leaves are the primary source. This synthetic junk is called the CIS form, and there is absolutely no good data out there proving its effectiveness or safety. We don't know about you, but we don't want to put anything in our bodies that's used to, uh, used to make cigarettes. Now, you might be surprised, but 100% natural CoQ10 is known as ubiqu- uh, ubiquinone. Now, how, let's, let me tell you how to read between the lines. Discount brands, such as those found in drugstores or big, or big box retailers, take advantage of labeling requirement loopholes and do a great job hiding the source of their CoQ10. So please, don't fall victim to their cost-cutting schemes. Rejuvenous Ultra CoQ10 significantly increases CoQ10 absorption. CoQ10 coenzyme Q10 is a vitamin-like compound, also known as ubiquinone, that supports the heart, cardiovascular, and a periodontal antioxidant found in the mitochondria, supports energy, is an enzyme to produce ATP, that's adenosine triphosphate. Ubiquinone combines two terms to describe this substance. Funone is a type of coenzyme, and ubiquinose indicates it exists elsewhere in the human body. Coenzyme Q10 plays an important role in our body's energy production and is an essential component of the mitochondria where it helps to metabolize fats, carbohydrates, and maintain cell membrane flexibility. It is also involved in the production of several key enzymes that are used to create adenosine triphosphate, a key energy source molecule. Remember, you can get all of this on our website. We talked about our krill oil, our natural krill oil, and our natural CoQ10, and many others. The website is agingyounger.net. And you can also give us a call on our phone, 954-744-30. Remember, coenzyme Q10 vital for your heart health, and so is the full long-chain fatty acid rejuvenous krill oil. It's very, very important. Well, that time has come again. We must end our show, but we want to thank all of our global listeners, and thank you, and I should have said this in the beginning of the show, we have reached over 145,000 global listeners, and it's because of you wonderful listeners and followers. We are featured hosts here on on Blog Talk Radio. David and I will be back next week, same time, same place, so until then, 
Have a healthy, aging, younger week. You've been listening to Aging Younger with David and Stephanie Tippy. You've just heard that alternatives to the sickness industry are alive and well, helping you to age younger. The Anti-Aging Clinic is located at 7200 West Commercial Boulevard in Lauder Hill, Florida. You can reach David and Stephanie at 954-742-4430. That phone number again is 954-742-4430. And you can learn more about them on their website, LiveLonger123.com. Join us every Wednesday and Friday at 1 o'clock for Aging Younger on 1040 WLVT.